whether you succeeded and now you're pivoting or whether you, you failed um, and see it as a preparation for the next step. I think that's it, it all. It boils down to, to mindset. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, I'm excited to have Ellie Perlman. Ellie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Todd. How are you? Fantastic. And uh, I'm excited to have you on. We've actually tried to do this interview two other times. Like the internet has been horrible. So fingers crossed, we're going to have an excellent, like this just sets us up for having the best interview ever, I think. That's all. I I hope so, Todd. You know, we've (laughs) been doing this for a while through Zoom and then it, it was great for years until the entire world discovered Zoom. And now we have to share the platform with everyone else. So sometimes it's great. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. It is what it is, exactly. So a uh, little bit about Ellie for the listeners. Um, she's a real estate investor, owns multifamily properties across the U.S. And you are the co-founder, or sorry, the founder and CEO of Blue Lake Capital. Um, and... Like I said, you, you do multifamily acquisitions and management, and you help other investors grow their wealth by investing alongside you in your multifamily deals. So that's really cool. You also have a, a mentoring program ready to scale uh, where Ellie coaches people to become multifamily syndicators by building and scaling a syndication business. So and then you started out as a, a scary commercial real estate lawyer, ah, lawyer, uh, <laughs> led real estate transactions uh, for Israel's largest real estate company. So that's really cool. I'll have to dive in there. And uh, now, you know, later you transitioned to a property manager role and oversaw properties worth a hundred million dollars. So all kinds of awesome experience. You're on the ownership side now. And uh, the this CEO actually owning the multifamily versus, you know, being the lawyer, uh, being part of a property management company. So take us through some of your experiences and uh, kind of where you're at today. Sure. I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, I, I started as a real estate lawyer. I grew up, you know, pretty much with nothing. And for me, the way to get out of poverty was through education. Cause that's all I got. I didn't have money to put, you know, for a down payment for a, a property. I didn't have money to go to a fancy, you know, university or college. Um, but I, I did work hard to get into uh, law school and I quickly, I, I um, found my, uh, you know, that, that I was basically fascinating with real estate. I don't know what it was about it. Maybe the, the notion that the wealthiest people on the planet owned real estate. Maybe it's not the only thing they owned, but you know, most wealthy people around me um, owned real estate. And I thought, you know, I, I really want to get involved. And, and so, you know, I used the, my brains, just all that I had back then. And I got into law school, um, focused on real estate and then started my career after I graduated, worked really hard to get into, uh, one of the largest real estate law firms. 
in Tel Aviv and I was working for amazing projects and then I grew, you know, my appetite and becoming a lawyer was not enough. It was, oh my God, look at what my clients are doing. They're building, you know, multifamily and office and, and they're buying properties. I want to be like them. And I felt, you know, um, pretty early on in my legal career, I felt that I can do so much more and I can create something. And I wasn't sure, I wasn't quite sure how to do it. I, I thought that at that point that I needed a lot of money to get into real estate. Um, and so I transitioned after several years working as a real estate lawyer and to basically transition to property management. And people told me, Ellie, are you crazy? You're quitting your job as a lawyer to what? run after, you know, chase tenants down and make sure that the, there's no leaking, you know, and what are you doing? Um, but you know, Todd, I was never really good at following, you know, the path that other paved for me or thought that they were paving for me. And I felt that, you know, I want to know, I want to understand real estate a little bit more. I want to be closer to people. I want to be in a more engaging and energetic, um, you know, path. And that's where I found myself and then decided to move to the, uh, to the U S. So all of it happened in, in Israel. I moved, um, here about six years ago. That was 20, that was March of 2014. Mm-hmm. And I went to MIT, I got my MBA degree. Cause I said, okay, I'm a lawyer. I know how to run properties. I know how to negotiate contracts, but I want to understand how to build a business. I felt that that was the last piece of my education and my experience that I was lacking. So understand better how to read and, and um, you know, how to read financial statements, how to build businesses, how to raise money um, from investors. All of that I learned, um, you know, at MIT and uh, after graduation, um, you know, I, I started Bule Capital and uh, started buying multifamily properties and the rest is history. So uh, you're, you're, uh, you were in Israel, you're from Israel. Yes. And you're, you're there and then you take this big jump to the U.S. Why, why jump to the U.S.? Why not, um, why not stay in Israel? Like what was the, what was the reason for the jump? So since I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old, um, I've decided that I'm going to live in the U.S. Mm. Um, My aunt actually lived in West Hollywood at that time in California, and she was the only person in my extended family that had some money. For me, she was was very uh, financial actually, you know, secure. And, you know, I thought she was very wealthy. She was, upper, you know, upper, you know, um, middle-class, but mm-hmm. at the time, the way that I saw her, um, was as a w- very successful, uh, woman. And I think that lay the grounds for my, my desire to move to the States. Cause I've decided that I'm going to make it in the U S this is the place for me. That's a place where I will end up. Um, you know, I remember in, in, college learning about you know the u.s history and the self-made men and i said i'm going to become a self-made woman it's you know in countries like israel israel is a great country but one of the things that 
is very hard to do is to penetrate this, um, you know, glass ceiling. There are, I would say 10, maybe, maybe 20 families that really control the economy and there's not enough room if you want to grow. And I understood early on that in the U.S. you actually do have a lot. There, there are so many people here compared to, you know, six, seven million people in Israel. Imagine that, you know, you can only stay in New York and that's your country. Now, yes, you can succeed, but there's a lot of competition and your chances of succeeding, I think, are not very high uh, unless you were born to a certain family. And I, I was born to the right family, but not to um, a family that had a lot of connections and wealth. And so um, it was very attractive to me, the whole notion of self-made man or self-made woman, because I said, I'm going to move there. I'm going to start a life and I'm, you know, start a new life. And I'm going to start I don't know how, but I'm going to own real estate someday, somehow. And, you know, it's, you can't really plan every move. You, you do what you think makes sense for the next one or two steps. You get there and then you plan the next one and the next step. And, you know, I, I think some of it is luck. Some of it is hard work um, and basically persistence, you know, never letting go until you get what you want. That's so cool. It, it- that's kind of what I want to know now is like, that's, that's a big, it's a big change, right? You took a big risk. You, first of all, you had this attorney job that, you know, I mean, I don't know what attorneys get paid in Israel, but obviously here they get paid a lot of money. I'm assuming they get paid decent over there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you did the property management thing. And then all of a sudden you go, look, I'm going to move to the U S like, I'm going to give up everything I've got here. And I'm just going to move to the U.S. and I'm going to take my chance. Like that's a huge step. And most of us will never make and even think about making a step that big. Like what, like what are some of like the mind hacks maybe we can get out of your brain to like use to, to even have this, that type of leap of faith? Because so many people want that leap of faith just to get into multifamily. Like they're, they're, they're working whatever job and they just want to get into multifamily. They don't even have to move across the ocean. They can do it right from where they're living right now, but they don't. Like what, take me through some like the mind hack stuff. Yeah. So, you know, Todd, I don't think I've ever thought of whatever I did as, you know, something that I did and now I'm going to throw it all away and move to the next thing. And then it's all going to go to waste. Like a lot of my, my friends in college, a lot of the people went to law school with me. I know they're unhappy doing what they do, but they don't, they don't want to leave because they said, we've put so much time and effort and money into it. Mm. You know what, we're going to start all over. For me, it's all about, you know, it's, it, it doesn't go away. The experience, the education, the connections, it's just, if anything, everything that I've done before real estate, before buying multifamily was a preparation. And that's how I look at life. If something doesn't quite work the way that I want it to work, then it was a preparation for the next step. There's always something that I'm trying to learn from every experience. If I don't learn anything from it, or if I, I don't use something, you know, experience, connection, whatever it is in that time frame that can be helpful for the next step, then it was all, you know, for nothing, but I didn't see it this way. 
Um, and I didn't see any, you know, reason to be in an unfulfilling, you know, job. It's for me it was much, much scarier to, to stay at a job that I actually didn't exact, didn't really like. Um, I can tell you the property management was not what I thought it was. Uh, I learned a lot about real estate, but I still felt that it, it's not it. Um, but I knew I had to stick and I stayed four, four and a half years in that position because mm. I knew I have to stay in that position because the next step would be business school. And I need to show this track record to show, to tell a story. So it will be compelling enough so I can get in and then continue and, and, you know, starting a real estate company as the next step. Cause that was the ultimate goal. So when you're having a hard time where you are right now, if you know, it's not going to last forever and you're doing it so you can basically, it will lay the grounds for the next step. It's much, much easier to handle, um, you know, to handle stress or to handle um, dissatisfaction because the, the road is not, you know, people, you know, they, they look at investors or, you know, successful businessmen and they say, wow, they're so successful. It's, it's probably great to be there, but you don't see all the 20, 15, yeah. 17, 30 years of hard work and failures and frustrations. And what separates successful people from others is that is, is basically what these people did with the, the frustration with the failures. If, if it let, if you let it, you know, put you, um, if you let it drag you down and feel sorry for yourself or feel that was a waste of time, waste of money. I, I can't do it. Then yeah, it will become waste of time and money and you won't be able to do it. So it, it is a lot about the mindset about how, how you look at what you've done so far, whether you succeeded and now you're pivoting or whether you, you failed um, and see it as a preparation for the next step. I think that's it, it all. It boils down to, to mindset. I really love how you positioned that because I think there's a lot of people that think exactly, they think exactly that way where they go, well, I spent all this time and I spent all this money and this is my career choice. And so now I got to stick with it where, yeah, you spent a lot of time, probably money on getting the education. Um, you were now making good money and you gave that up to make the change, but you didn't see it as you're giving that up. You saw it as you're taking the next step. You saw it as you're choosing what you've learned and bringing it forward essentially to the next step in your life and the next learning experience. So that's a totally different mindset than somebody who goes, oh, I'm just going to give up what I did. And I'm going to start fresh. Now, you're using your experiences and you're moving to the next level. That's a totally different mindset than giving something up. I love how you phrased, you know, or like just kind of spun it around. So many people like get caught up. You know, they, they think, well, I spent all this time, all this money, went to college, you know, I have been working at this job. Yeah, I don't like it, but it's making me money. And I spent all this money in college. Like I got to continue to do it. And you said, well, no, that, that like, that doesn't even, that, that doesn't translate. You're saying, look, I, I did go to school and I did 
get this career, but that's a stepping stone. That's like my path and my journey. And it's only making me a better business owner. And you don't see that the you wasted time and money, yet you see it as it's a, it's a step and it's a learning experience. It's only going to make you a better business owner in the end. And that's such a different mindset than saying, I'm giving this career up. I'm ending my career and starting something else. No, you're instead you are mutating, you're changing, you're, you're growing into your next journey and you're using those experiences that you gained along the way. And that's a beautiful way of thinking of it. And I think it makes that transition for people a lot easier um, to handle. They can think that way. I love, I love the, what I've heard from you so far, like you're 10 years old and you're like, I'm going to move to the U S and look at where you're at right now. And you're this real estate uh, attorney and you're like, I want to start buying real estate and look at what you're doing right now. Like you've used this as this journey to get you to the position you're in. It's so beautiful. I, I love uh, the story. That, that's so cool. So take me through, um, you know, getting here, you went to the, you went to MIT, I think you said, right. And after that you're done, what was your kind of your steps into to real estate? So back at MIT, um, I actually took real estate classes, um, underwriting classes and, and other classes uh, related to real estate, but also related to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how I approach my business. I approach yeah. it like a startup. Um, but when I was there, I was very interested in technology also because MIT is a great school for entrepreneurship and technology. And um, I learned how to run a lean business. So how can, it, how can you establish a business on the grounds up without spending a lot of money on, you know, on um, payroll and other expenses, but, you know, kind of move that, create a company and, and, get the ball rolling and generate cash flow without spending a lot of money. Um, and the interesting thing over there is that during the summer, I actually joined a startup and um, we, t- and I say we, it, it was, you know, I was part of the executive team, but um, the owner and executive team, you know, we, we raised about $5 million during the summer. And it took, you know, it was 45 days when I started a company was about 12 employees. And by the end of the summer, we were, I think, 32 or 33 employees. And that also helped raise in the capital when they saw that how many you know, people were, were working there. And I learned a lot about how to pick the right people, how to instill motivation in them, even though they don't get paid a lot because at the time it was a startup. Um, and right after college, uh, sorry, right after that's not called, that was degree number three for me. So right after I graduated from MIT, um, I moved to California and I, I worked, um, at a startup and I wanted to start buying real estate and I was still thinking about how do I do it? It, it was still not very clear to me. Uh, I made a very easy, you know, very con- comfortable job, six figures, you're, you're starting work at 10, you're home by four, you have so much time. And for the first time in my life, I was actually making money without working that hard. And that was very strange to me. And I felt starting to feel also uncomfortable because what do I do with all this 
you know, free time from 4 p.m. until, you know, 7 a.m. the next or 8 a.m. the next morning, what do I do? I can't just sit and go to the beach or watch TV or whatever it is. Like I have to do something because I had so much, you know, energy and, and I, I wanted to do something. Um, you could, and I started you to look at. have done that though, like the, yeah. rest, the rest of society. But you know, Todd, it's. <laughs> you it's, just could it's so boring. Yeah. It's so boring. And I think life has so much more than to just work the nine to five and spend, yeah. you know, whatever hours you have on hobbies. Um, I wanted to create something meaningful. I wanted to create a, a legacy, mm. you know, to my future kids. Um, you know, at some point they're, they're going to uh, arrive and, and I wanted to create something that they'll be able to take part of. And, and, you know, I, after, I think it was about a year after I moved here, I started Pule Capital. Um, and again, it's always, there's no, you know, the, the road is not very short when I say, okay, I want to become a multifamily owner. Okay. This is how I do it. 12 months go. Um, it was kind of checking and seeing, you know, how do I get there? And I actually remember taking a piece of paper and saying, okay, where do you want to be when you're 50 years old? And, you know, what net worth do you want to have? Okay, great. Now, how many assets? I'm trying to translate it to the number of assets you want to own. Okay. I know where I want to be in 50 years. Now, I had about 15 years to get there when I started that calculation or, or for anywhere between 14 and 16 years. And I reverse engineered it and I said, okay, what do I need to do every year? And of course, it's not linear, right? But what do I need to do every year? How many assets do I need to purchase? And, what, and I, I, I basically reverse engineered it to how many assets I need to buy in the first year as an investor. And I had a number and I said, okay, now how do I do it? Um, and I looked into fix and flips. I looked into, and I realized that that's not really what I wanted because you're buying and you're getting rid of the asset. You're making some short-term profit yep. and some people, you know, they like fix and flips and that's great. It just didn't sit well with where I wanted to get to with, with my end goal. And then I said, okay, so I understand I want to hold on to properties. Now, what properties do I want? to own. And I started looking into single family homes and, um, I even started driving for dollars. I don't know if you, if you hear, if you heard that <laughs> phrase and I, I went to Inglewood, which was kind of, some areas are kind of up and coming. And I started to drive around and try to locate some properties I want to buy and renovate. And I was on my way to a conference that teaches you how to buy um, properties at a discount, how to buy single family homes. Sure. And I was listening to a podcast. I was into tons of podcasts at that time, which I was so thirsty. I wanted to learn. And I heard this podcast and the guy on the podcast was saying, it was a, a single family home podcast. And they, they interviewed someone who was talking about multifamily. And I remember sitting there and he was talking and talking and, and basically saying, you're thinking too small. You know, why buy one or two or four doors like duplexes? That's too small. 40 units, 70 units, 200 units. And I remember sitting in that parking lot 
and waiting for the podcast to be over. I could have paused it, but I had to hear what he had to say. And I, and I arrived late to that um, conference. I was sitting there in the parking lot listening because I was fascinating. And this is when it hit me. And it's like, um, some people say, when you see someone, um, the first moment you see them, you know that that's the one, which I don't believe in, by the way, because there's so many layers to a person you cannot tell just by blinking at them for two seconds. But that's, that's a a different, that's a different conversation. But, (laughs) but that's what happened to me in that podcast. Since this guy, since the moment he started talking, I said, that's it. That's what I'm, I was looking for. And that's what I started doing. I started looking into it. I started, um, I paid a lot for edu- to educate myself, to learn how to do it, um, to kind of learn how to approach investors, how to buy the best, you know, properties, how to renovate them, how to push income. That, that's how, that's how I got into uh, real estate basically. That's, that's cool. And so look to the listeners that, it doesn't have to be a straight line, right? It does mm-hmm. not have to be. And I tell so many people like, look, you, you might start out thinking that you're going to do single family houses like you did. I mean, and maybe you'll even start doing single family houses, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only thing you're going to do. And that's the end game. But you, you know, you started in this journey, you knew you were going to do real estate at somehow, some way capacity. And then eventually, you know, multifamily hit your brain and, and it made so much sense. For me, it was like, I was single family. I was in single families. I was actually doing them. I was buying them. I was flipping them. I was keeping them. And then all of a sudden, like this multifamily, like, oh, hit my brain. And it was like, I, I need to stop and completely transition and it just, you can always pivot, you can always change, but you, you've got to continue to educate yourself and continue to take action as well. So um, I want to go back. You said, you talked about tips on starting lean and you approach your real estate as a startup or when you started, you approached it as a startup, which I think is really important. A lot of people, and that's one of the kind of the main themes on, on this podcast is so many people, we talk about the nuts and bolts of real estate. We talk about, you know, NOI and cap rate and all that kind of stuff. But we don't talk about, it's a business that we're operating. Mm-hmm. And you, in my opinion, at least our short conversation here is you've set yourself up truly as a business. So talk to us about the tips of kind of starting lean. You're like, how do we start lean yet? be able to scale. Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, a, a big part of my, my mentoring program. That's why it's called ready to scale. You have to start and set up the foundations for, to scale, even though, you, I mean, you don't have to have 50 or hundred or $200,000 to spend. Um, and, and the way that I did it, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. There's no magic formula. You, you sit down and you write the different steps when it comes to doing whatever you do now, because I'm assuming when you start, you're kind of trying to do it all on your own, which is another mistake. Yeah. But let's say you say, okay, um, I, I need to find deals and I'm also raising money. So when it comes to finding a deal, what are the different steps? 
sourcing deals, talking with the broker, then underwriting the deal, then walking the property. So all the different steps. Do the same with capital raise. Um, you know, maybe to raise capital, you are writing content on social media, um, scheduling meetings with with incoming leads that you know investors that visit your website, um, and then do a follow up and maybe send them an email or whatever it is. Do the just write down the different steps and now look at it and say, okay. Where do I have to be in which of those boxes? Because some things, at least at first, it's very hard to bring someone instead of, you know, so if you're run, if you're focusing, let's, let's focus for, an, for a moment on, on the acquisition part. If you're making the decision whether to buy the property, sending one of, you know, someone, one of your employees um, or a contract a contractor, send them to walk the property and decide for you, that's pretty hard. So walking the property is something, for instance, that you decide that's, I'm going to do this. But sourcing deals, exactly, yes. And I'll say that when I started, I actually did everything for a while just to understand what it Mm. takes to do each and every of those steps so I'll know who I need to hire. It becomes much clearer once you do that. If you didn't run a full underwriting from start to finish, you don't know maybe that you need someone with super strong attention to details, someone who maybe can also build underwriting models because you're changing your, you know, your models from time to time. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, that's what I did. I decided where I'm staying and where I'm actually outsourcing and bringing someone to do it for for me. So sourcing deals doesn't have to be me. You can have an analyst, you know, running initial numbers or looking at deals, you know, on scrape the internet or um, that's the first step. Now, the second step, after you decide where you want to stay and what you want to outsource, um, you basically hire people to do that for you. And there's a way to do it on a budget also. There are certain websites where, where you know, you, you can hire people, you know, part-time and pay them by the hour, for instance. And some are going to be happy to do it without pay if you give them a little bit of equity if you close the deal. And... I always say that equity is the most expensive, you know, form of payment you can have. But if you absolutely don't have money to pay someone, you can give them a little bit, you know, piece of the equity and they can underwrite deals for you. So that's how, you know, how you can create it. And lastly, you know, you got to create, got to find the the right um, websites and tools that can help you streamline the process. So for instance, we're using Airtable, which is free. Um, and we have the entire acquisition process there. So we have 16 or 17 different steps. And, every, and everyone knows when, you know, which steps it's, it's, you know, their responsibility. So when they start, when someone finishes a step, they kick it off to the next person. So it goes, it's basically one, two, three, four. So every morning I log in and I'm looking at, um, at Airtable, I know that, okay, I need to look at three deals that are in certain stage and then two deals on a different stage because I'm in charge of stage, you know, three and seven, for instance. So that's, you know, kind of creating, 
creating the platform that allows everyone to see where all the deals are, you know, at, at all times, that's very crucial. If, if you're creating this um, syndication or any, you know, real estate investment company, so everyone has to know where each deal is in the pipeline so they can push it forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then allowing other people, everybody to see it, like you said, and you can see where it stalls out. You can see if there's any problems along the way and you can see how it's progressing. Uh, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I really like that. Just writing those steps down and deciding what to outsource. And, and the other thing you mentioned is doing everything yourself is okay to start with one of the important parts. Um, and I've, been stuck doing this. I don't know if you get stuck sometimes, but sometimes we keep it for way too long. We don't delegate it. We just, cause we're so good at it. Right. Or we think we're so good at it. it that may, might, we might not even be that great at it. We just think we are like, we are the only one that can do this. So we like hold on to it and won't let it go. Like, how do you know when to let it go? You have to, you have to put an end to it pretty, pretty quickly. Even if you are objectively the best at every aspect of the business, it's never going to become a business. You're going to be a, you know, self-employed, not a business owner. You cannot do everything and you have to be okay letting go. Even if it's going to be 80 or 85%, not a hundred percent, because in your mind, a hundred percent is exactly how you would do it. You have to be okay with things being done not exactly the way you wanted it. You know, you wanted to, you know, things to be done. And I've I've been through it too. I mean, I I wanted things to be done a certain way. And you know, I'm a type A person. You know, have a type A personality. Right. I like things to be done a certain way. To have to be, you know, top level, no mistakes. And you you really can't. You know, you can buy a few properties this way, but you can't scale. It just doesn't scale. And I would say, you know, look at all the successful people out there. Um, look at Sam Zell, for instance, very, very well-known, uh, you know, real estate um, investor. Um, but, but not even in real estate. Look at, you know, it, every successful businessman and business owner, they never do everything yep. from start to finish. A lot of consultants do. And then the question is, what do you, who do you want to become? Do you want to become the Elon Musk of real estate or do you want to become a consultant? Answer this question and then be okay with whatever you do, you know, after you answer yourself, but you, you just can't, you can't think too small. You have to understand that the, the people who reach to the top, that's not the top for them, by the way, it's just another milestone. But those who we think are at the top, they, they learn to let go, but they were also willing to pay for, um, for top, top talent to yeah. do the right thing, to, you know, to, to do the work, but you have to compare yourself or and maybe not compare yourself. We have to be inspired by people who, you know, have reached the top and try, what would they do in your position? Would they still scrape the internet or, you know, run the initial underwriting? The numbers? No. They would no. focus on growing the business. They would focus on closing more deals so you can have, you can have more cash flow so you can, ha- you can hire people that can help you bring more deals and that's how you grow it. So yeah. that's, it's, it's looking at it as a business, not as a real estate investment you know, company. It's, it's a business. 
It's a business meaning to grow and scale. And that's, and if you look at it this way, you know, it, it boils down, it, it will boil down to, I have an hour now. Am I going to chat with the family office that can bring $10 million to the next deal so I can do more deals in a shorter period of time? Or do I look for deals online and try and see which one are in, in the, the right neighborhood? Yeah, definitely. Um, such a big difference in how much, how you can spend your time. And like, if you're always looking at what's going to grow my business, right? What's going to bring my business to the next level. As you said, you're not mm-hmm. going to, you can't focus on just everything. It just doesn't work. You have yeah. to pick and choose what you're going to spend your most important hours of your day. And again, maybe you say, well, I can't give up the underwriting. Well, maybe, maybe you don't have to give it up a hundred percent. But maybe you can give up, as you said, like 80, 85% of it. Somebody else does it. They check all the boxes and they go, hey, here's a deal that meets our criteria. And then you go, okay, I'm going to take a look at what they put together. And Mm -hmm. that way you don't have to look at the other 75 deals they looked at and they threw into the garbage can, right? Because, man, that's a ton of time. You know, and anybody else who's listening how much time underwriting a deal takes. Holy cow. I mean, save a ton of time, just something, one thing simple like that. And then we can multiply it by the other million tasks that have to be done. So what's a mistake that you've made along your journey here that you can share with our listeners and how did you learn from it? Um, choose only one. Okay. Um, one of the mistakes that I've done, I think, um, well, when you just start buying real estate, one of the main mistakes I think most people make is just assume that things are going to work well and work as planned and things cannot be, you know, th- this statement cannot be, you know, more wrong. I mean, this, it's just, um, expect the unexpected and, and you have to be okay with things being fluid. You have to be okay with, um, you know, changes in financing and in occupancy. And all of a sudden you have investors that drop out. It's things always change. If it were that easy, then many more people would have done what we do. And it's not, and not everyone is built to, to deal with, with the stress that comes with it. Yeah. Um, so I think just assuming that, okay, I bought it. It's on a contract in two months. Easy. We're going to close. Maybe not easy, but I know how to, I know how to make sure it closes. And then you have all kinds of things that happen that you don't expect. Uh, you can't let it deter you because that's the nature of real estate. There's nothing more real than a building that is, that is there that you can see and touch. But it's so, you know, unlike the foundations, there aren't many things that are stable in a deal from the moment you look at a deal until, you know, until you, you basically complete the, uh, the transactions. And even after closing, yeah. things change. So just be okay with things being fluid and understand that this is part of business. This is, this is part of life. And you just have to focus on um, the solution and the steps you can take to improve the the property and not focus on the fact that, oh my God, I have this huge, you know, unexpected thing that happened. You know, why am I even dealing with it? Yeah. 
Well, and part of it too goes down, comes down to planning. Like it, I see it so often. I'm sure you do newer real estate investors. I'm guilt. I, I was guilty of it myself. I just assume that everything's going to go right. And we don't plan on that unexpected. And when you don't plan on the unexpected, you get caught with, you know, in a bad position. And that's how people get burned. And, you know, luckily yeah. enough that, hasn't it, it in my beginning days it didn't completely burn me um but a lot of people did uh get burned and you've got to plan for some of that unexpected too you can't think as you said you can't assume things everything will go right it's just not gonna happen yeah it's it, that's the only thing that is certain that things are not <laughs> going to work as planned that's for sure oh, that's, that's for sure gonna happen oh <laughs> uh, that's awesome yeah so we got to wrap up here, but I got a couple last questions I want to ask you before we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, what's a, what's a favorite book that you can uh, have our listeners uh, take a look at? So actually two, one of them is Gary, uh, a book by Gary Keller called um, The One Thing. And it teaches you just focus the first part of your day on the one thing that is the most important thing for the success of your business. Forget about all the other noise. And that's how you're going to, um, you know, grow your business and, and see, you know, main, you know, a huge uh, difference. And the other one is, um, am I being too subtle by, um, Sam Zell? And it talks about his journey and how he started. And as you can see, nobody plans on becoming, you know, an owner of a huge portfolio by buying the first door on day one. There's always unexpected, you know, ways and how it, I I thought it was a very inspiring story. Um, and I, I enjoy, you know, listen to him, you know, speak. So these are my two of my favorite books. Awesome. Awesome. I've read both of them. I love them both. Um, the, the one thing, it's such an easy concept and so hard to actually right back into your business. (laughs) Truly, you truly have to focus on it. And even then, like you lose focus and you have to like, Oh, I gotta focus back on that one thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, what, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? First one is consistency. Have to be consistent and, and power through. Um, the second one is the right kind of combination between um, pessimism and optimism. Because you got to be optimistic about your abilities to execute and close the deal. But you have to be, you know, when you're looking at the underwriting, you can't be optimistic. You have to kind of assume worst case scenario to stress test, you know, the numbers and see if it actually works. So it's kind of, you know, plan for, for the worst and pray for the best. Um, I would say that's the second one. The third one is um, have a higher, a higher why. It, just making money can motivate, will motivate you to some extent. But when things are hard, when they're, um, when you're burnt out, if you don't have a kind of a higher purpose or kind of a, a much deeper motivation, you will suffer because it's hard. Buying and managing real estate is hard. Managing people, managing companies, it's hard. Um, 
And if you don't have a good reason to get up in the morning and keep, you know, pushing through, it's, it's going to be a very, very unpleasant experience for you. You, I've got it. Well, I, I never, that's like one of my, or that's like my last question, but I've got another question now for you. Yeah. I'm throwing, throwing some extra stuff in here. You're mentor, you mentor people. Um, between you, between the people that you, you mentor, like what's, what are some assumptions that you hear or that maybe were in your mind um, that just aren't, that just aren't true um, about, you know, about real estate, about operating a business. Like people are like, Oh, this part is going to be easy or, Oh, I need to really focus on this part. Is there anything that you kind of like hear a lot, see a lot or thought in your own mind? You're like, yeah, that's just not accurate. Or maybe there's just Let me think if there's something. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are several of them. I think the main one was, I don't have experience. Why would anyone invest with me? Why would passive investors invest with me if I don't have experience? Um, that, that's a big, that's a big, I think, hurdle for many students because it's kind of the chicken and the egg. Uh, you gotta, gotta, gotta have experience. So investors follow you, but how are you going to get experience if nobody's going to follow you? And I always say, hey, the, the solution is just to find someone with more experience. And now, you know, you invested time and money and energy into learning how to do it. There is some value that you can offer to them. Yeah. Partner up. And then your lack of experience is not relevant. And then any, and, and that's what I did, by the way. That's how I started. And then every deal, my, my role in my GP percentage increased and now you know we do everything from a to z um but at the beginning it wasn't for me am i getting five percent of the gp 20 percent? am i gonna get x dollars out of it i didn't care all i cared about was starting out and that was kind of the mindset that set me for success because i wasn't there was no ego how much i'm getting how much he's getting doesn't matter just get your you know my my feet wet and start building the, um, you know, the, the, um, kind of the reputation, um, that I wanted. And so I also think that's another kind of issue that I see with a lot of people who start out, who are starting out they're they're too focused on how much they're going to get paid, Mm -hmm. how much, and I've seen it over and over when someone doesn't matter how experienced they are, when they're focused on how much they're getting out of the deal, they are always kind of staying, their success is kind of limited to a certain level. Those who didn't care about it, you know, I, I've seen some people with very, very impressive, you know, um, uh, growth. And that was part of it. They didn't focus on how much they were making and then try to adjust what they're going to put in the deal based on how much they were getting. They just gave the best that they've got, regardless of how much they actually got um, as a compensation or equity. And these are the people that shine. These are the people that others wanted to be, you know, wanted to partner with. And these are the people that actually, you know, succeeded. So I think that's another common mistake is to focus on how much you're getting when you're just starting out and try and say, and try and kind of match your level of effort with how much you're getting which, you know, I, I just think it's a mistake. Show people what you can do. 
that's the best, you know, in my opinion, that's the best uh, argument, the strongest argument if you want to get more, you know, a bigger piece of the GP, a bigger piece of equity, show them what you can, what you can do. Don't try and match your efforts with whatever you think you're getting to get paid. Cause that's, uh, that's kind of, um, it, it's a very limiting, men, you know, mindset and yeah, for sure. just the, this mentality is not going to set you up for success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, focus, yeah. Focusing on what you can bring to the table versus how much money you can get out of that table. Like, just a big difference in, in your mindset. And look, you might not have experience. You might not have the the money back in you. You might not have any of that. But if you bring the skills that you can to the table, you're going to start gaining that. And if that's your main, your main focus when you began, sounds like, was making sure that you're getting the experience, right? Partnering with the right people to then leverage you're, you're leveraging them. You're leveraging their expertise. Quite frankly, you might even have paid them for that, right? I mean, but you got probably paid a little bit of money. Um, yeah. But you didn't. Focus Not much on that, right? But, but you. It, but it didn't matter because it, that exactly. that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was being able to get the experience, be able to grow your grow, and then now, you know, come a a few years later is you're in a totally different position than you were when you started day one. So, yeah. And that's the strength of starting from the end and knowing what, what your end goal is. Cause I knew I got to get to X amount of dollars in net worth and Y number of doors in 15 years and two years, one year, I have to do the next deal and the one after the few first deals so I can get started. I didn't care how much they paid me. It was all about getting, um, you know, getting my foot in the door and doing more than I'm anticipated. It's just like it's an indicator that, you know, we project, let's say 7% cash on cash. I want to pay eight. I want to yeah. pay nine. You know, it's, it's the same thing. I'm not sticking to exactly what I'm projecting. I want to give more than people expect of me. That's what's going to make people say, oh, I want to invest with her again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the same, you know, same mindset. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ellie, really appreciate you spending time with us. And uh, I, we could probably keep on talking for a while, but we do have to wrap. So with that said, how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you can Google my name, Ellie Perlman. Um, I also have a website that talks a little bit about my life story and, and, and our investments and everything. Um, and the website is ellieperlman.com. And if you go there, you can download a free guide, um, which is basically the five critical deal components that every passive investor should look into when they're looking at the deal. Um, and of course, if you know somebody wants to reach out and talk about investing passively with my company, then they can do that on on this website. There's um, you can leave your information and, um, yeah, I, I guess if you also, you know, uh, Google my name and the word Forbes, you can also, uh, read my, um, my articles that are posted on Forbes as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I really appreciate it. And man, I mean, I took some good notes and I think our listeners probably are, were taking good notes too. So, 
I think one of the really big takeaways I took uh, from this are, are writing those steps down that you need to do for your business, you know, like finding deals, step A, B, C, D, you know, raising capital, step A, B, C, D, and so on, and really figure it out, okay, how, what are those steps? And then, you know, maybe doing it all yourself to begin with, but then figuring out how do we delegate? How do we make the certain things, the most important things for us, and then handing some of that off for other people. So we can actually operate this thing like a business and not like this hobby, this thing that consumes our life. Right. So yeah, awesome absolutely. Stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, I really appreciate it. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you, Todd. It was great being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out, and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.